0: this passage on views, passage 24, let's go over it very quickly. I just want to make the one point is, here we have Ananda Bindika going to see wanderers of other persuasions. And they ask him what his views are. And he said, oh, excuse me, first they ask, what, is viewed, what views the contemplative Gotama, i.e., the Buddha has? And Ananda Bindika says, I don't know entirely what his views are. Well, how about the monks? And he says, I don't even know entirely what views the monks have. Well, you don't know what they know. What about your views? And he said, well, let me first hear your views first. And so they tell him, and they go through whether the cosmos is eternal. Only this is true. Anything otherwise is worthless. This is the sort of view I have. And another one says the cosmos is not eternal. Another one says the cosmos is finite. Someone else says the cosmos is infinite. Another one says the body and the soul are the same. Another one says the soul is one thing, the body another. And then there's arguments as to... What happens to an enlightened person after death? Does the person exist? Does the person not exist? Both exist and not exist, or neither exist or not exist. And then Anandabindika points out that, when this view has been brought into being as fabricated willed, excuse me, first he says, this view arises from your own inappropriate attention or independence on the words of another. This view has been brought into being as fabricated willed, dependently originated. whatever has been brought into being is fabricated, will dependently originate. That is inconstant. Whatever is inconstant is stress. This venerable thus adheres to that very stress, submits himself to that very stress. In other words, instead of analyzing the content of the view, he looks at the process of what it means to take on a view and hold on to it. And in the process of taking on and holding on to it, you suffer. So they say, well, what about you? What kind of views do you have? his view is... First full paragraph, page 16, second full paragraph, excuse me. Whatever has been brought into being is fabricated, will dependently originated, that is inconstant. Whatever is inconstant is stress. Whatever stress is not me, is not what I am, is not myself. This is the sort of view I have. And so they try to turn on him his argument. They said, so, householder, whatever has been brought into being is fabricated, will dependently originated, that is inconstant. Whatever is constant is stress. You thus adhere to that very stress, submit yourself to that very stress. And he says, no, having this view, and he goes on, having seen this well with right discernment as it actually is present or has actually come to be, I also discern the higher escape from it as it actually has come to be. So in other words, right view is right because it contains the scenes for its own transcendence. You use it as a tool that it gets you beyond views. This is the only kind of view that can do that, because you're looking directly at the process of view making and view holding, and realizing that it has limitations. So you use that view to pry away your attachment to other views, and then you can turn it on your own view and say, okay, I don't need to be attached to this anymore. That's when you let go and are released. So even though you need right view as a part of the path, you're you're developing a view that, as I said, contains the seeds for its own transcendence that can take you beyond clinging to views. There's a similar problem with precepts and practices. Okay, we, know, we all know that clinging to precepts and practices is a cause of suffering. But we have precepts and we have practices that we form a part of the path. You've got the five precepts and you've also got the practice of jhana. You've got other practices. So, how do you relate to these? Look at that first paragraph under precepts and practices. Now, where do unskillful habits cease without trace? There's the case where a monk abandons wrong bodily conduct and develops right bodily conduct, abandons wrong verbal conduct and develops right verbal conduct, abandons wrong livelihood and maintains his right, with li- right livelihood. Okay, that's where unskillful habits cease without trace. Then the question is now, where does skillful habits cease without trace? Here's the interesting par- pe- pe- sentence Here is there's the case where a monk is virtuous but is not fashioned to virtue. I mean, you don't make yourself out of you don't make a self, create a self around being virtuous. It doesn't mean that you're not virtuous or you drop your precepts. You follow them, but you don't create a sense of self around it. It's just something you do because it's skillful, but you're not creating an identity around it. Similarly comes to the practice of jhana. A person of no integrity enters and remains in the first jhana. He notices, I have gained attainment of the first jhana, but these other monks have not gained the attainment of the first jhana. My jhana is better than your jhana. (laughs) (laughs) He exalts himself for the attainment of first jhana and disparages others. I have the only true jhana. No one else has the true jhana. No one else has the right to talk to me. That kind of attitude. This is the quality of a person of no integrity. A person of integrity, however, notices the Blessed One has spoken of non-fashioning. Here's the word atamayata, which relates to. Notice the sila maya up in the, in the previous paragraph. The maya means to be fashion of something. Non-fashioning, truly really means not made of thatness. Okay, in other words, you don't make a self around that. The blessing was spoken of non-fashioning or not creating a self even around the attainment of the first jhana. For however they construe it, it becomes otherwise. And that one sentence is kind of a mystery. <laughs> I'm <laughs> we'll leave it for the time being. So making non-fashioning his focal point, he neither exalts himself for the attainment of the first jhana nor disparages others. This is the quality of a person of integrity. And then that passage, that sutta goes along and makes the same statement around the other attainments of jhana. Now notice, the Buddha is not saying that you don't try to attain jhana or that you stop practicing it. You don't create a sense of identity or pride around it. You realize, okay, this is a tool that you're going to have to learn to use to overcome suffering. You're not doing this to make yourself better than others or to compare yourself with other people. That's how you have precepts and practices, but don't cling to them. You use them as tools, but you don't create a sense of self around them. You don't fashion a sense of self around them. Should we stop for questions here? Any questions on these issues? Yes.
1: In the twirling, there's two contacts. One is the one between the the sense,
0: media, and the feeling, Mm -hmm. and also one that is uh, part of the name and form. Can you clarify the two contacts, the difference between the two? The the texts don't explain it, but as as I see it, the contact in name and form is contact between the various kinds of mental activities. Like when there's an intention, the intention has contact with the attention, the attention has contact with the perception, the feeling, and so forth. In other words, they interact. There's a contact among them. If there were no contact among your mental faculties, you wouldn't know them. They wouldn't interact in the way. Anything about precepts and practices of sensuality? It's getting kind of late in the day. Okay. Doctrines of the self. We've got two passages here. I'm amazed we're actually going to finish this material. Okay, yes. <laughs> I'm curious just for the, the choice of the word integrity. Mm-hmm. Could you say a little something about... Okay, the, the, the Pali term is sat which literally means a true man. And the way it's explained in the canon is someone who has integrity, basically. It's So a true man is a person with integrity. Right. It's not a literal translation, but it's part of the meaning of the term as it's used. Okay, two passages. Passages 27. I just wanted to include this one. This is one of my favorite passages in the canon. Watch your go to goes to see the blessed one. And on arrival, exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of courteous friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he asked the Blessed One, Now then, Venerable Gautama, is there a self? When this was said, the Blessed One was silent. Then is there no self? A second time, the Blessed One was silent. The Wanderer got up from his seat and left. (laughs) No goodbye, no bowing down, no courtesies. He just goes goes and leaves. So Ananda comes up. Okay, says, why didn't you ask him? Why didn't you answer him? Now look at the Buddha's explanation for why he didn't answer. Because there's so many ways that this gets interpreted. Okay. And, not, and if I, being asked by what you go to the wonder if there was a self, were to answer that there is a self, that would be conforming to those priests and contemplatives who are exp- exp- exponents of inter- eternalism, the view that there is an eternal, unchanging soul. Or self. If I, being asked by what you go to the wonder if there is no self, were to answer that there is no self. That would be conforming with those priests and contemplatives who are exponents of annihilationism, the view that death is the annihilation of consciousness. Okay, notice the Buddha says, simply by saying there is no self, you're an annihilationist. Now, some places you will hear explain that you're an annihilationist only if you believe that there's something to be annihilated. <laughs> but because there's nothing to be annihilated, then when there's nothing after death, nothing was annihilated, so it's not annihilationism. The Buddha's not saying that. He said, if you say there is no self, that's annihilationism right there. If I being asked by watch you go to the wander. if there is a self were to answer that there is a self, would that be in keeping with the rising of knowledge that all phenomena are not self? Is this no? In other words, if you believe that there is a self, would this, be able, would this help you with that gain that insight? It actually it would get in the way of gaining the insight that all Dhammas are not self. And if I being asked by what you go to, if there is no self, were to say that there is no self, the bewildered watch- you go to would be going to be even more bewildered Does the self I used to have now not exist. So the Buddha has many kinds of reasons for not wanting to take a position that there is a self or there is no self. One of them has to do with Vachagota. And some people will say, well, it's because of this. If somebody else had asked the question, the Buddha would have said, yes, there is no self. But you look earlier, the Buddha says, just simply saying that there is no self, that's conforming with annihilationists, regardless of who answers. So the next time you hear somebody say, the Buddha said there is no self, okay, this is the proof. The Buddha would never say that. It's one of those questions that he put aside. Now what does he have you do instead? Look at passage number 28, okay. Venerable Gacchaya Nagota approached the Blessed One in an arrival having bowed down and sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Lord, right view, right view, it is said. To what extent is there right view? And, okay, this, this passage is one we could talk about all day. We're going to talk about it for 10 minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: so says, Buddha answers, By and large China, this world is supported by or takes as its object of polarity, that of existence and non-existence. We knew, that's how we used to think about things. Either they exist or they don't exist. This is the basic framework for our idea. Remember we talked earlier about, you know, we like to think in terms of metaphysics as a way of explaining events. What the Buddha is going to do here, no, he says, tries to explain metaphysics from looking at things just as events. But when you see the origination of the world as it actually is is with right discernment, now the origination of the world, world here means the experience of the six senses. And the origination means seeing, seeing things arise. There's This constant arising, 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 arising all the time. As you look at things simply in those terms, the idea of the non-existence of the world wouldn't, it doesn't occur to you. Now again, you're not making a statement about the fact that. Well, let's let's, let's continue this in a minute. and I'll, I'll finish that thought in a minute. <clears throat> okay. So when you're looking at things in terms of just their arising, the thought non-existence doesn't occur to you because you see things coming, 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 coming all the time. When you see the cessation of the world, when you see things passing away, passing away, passing away in your six senses, with right discernment, the idea of existence with reference to the world doesn't occur to you. So what the Buddha is describing here is putting yourself in that practice of watching these things arising and passing away. Ideas of existence and do existence don't occur. The mind is not interested. Because none, neither of those labels really seems to fit what you're experiencing. Now later on, there was a Buddhist philosopher, Nagarjuna, who took this and ran, ran with a ball and said that as a result of this statement, you cannot say that, you know, that even samsara exists or doesn't exist, or both or neither. But the Buddha is not saying that. He's not making a statement about samsara as a whole. He's saying, if you put yourself in this mind state, these ideas don't occur to you. So this is how you get out of these polarities, is by putting yourself in this process of looking at things arising and passing away. By and large, the Buddha goes on to say, this world is in bondage to attachments, clingings, sustenances, and biases. But one such as this, who is watching things arising and passing away at the Six Senses, does not get involved with or cling to these attachments, clings, fixations, awarenesses, biases, or obsessions, nor is he resolved on by self. He or she has no uncertainty or doubt that mere stress when arising is arising. Stress when passing away is passing away." Can you simply see things not in terms of what's there behind the experience, but you're looking at the experience in and of itself seeing what has come to be as what has come to be. And what is it? It's stress. And what do you do with stress? You try to comprehend it, so you can understand the cause and then bring it to cessation. So he says, all exists. that is one extreme. All doesn't exist, that's a second extreme. Avoiding these two extremes, the tagata teaches the Dharma via the middle. From ignorance as a record condition comes fabrications, and so on down to the rest of dependent core rising. And what he's saying here is when you look at things simply in terms of conditions or events arising and passing away, you don't want to get involved in metaphysical issues of existence or non-existence. And this includes the questions of existence or non-existence of yourself. There comes a point where that becomes an irrelevant issue. What you want to see is look at things in terms of stress so that you can comprehend the stress, see what's causing the stress so you can abandon it, and then develop the factors that bring bring about the cessation of stress, so you can realize that. So again, the Buddha is not interested in making statements about the world out there, or so what lies behind your experiences. He's saying, as I said earlier, his, his, his point in teaching was to teach you what suffering is, how you put an end to it. And this is how you do it. You look at things in terms of events arising and passing away. So you put aside issues about the metaphysics be- lying behind your world put aside your ideas of what you like and dislike and what you're clinging to, and learn to look at things simply arising and passing away. See which things arising and passing away need to be comprehended, which ones need to be abandoned, which one needs to be realized, which ones need to be developed. When you look at things in those terms, okay, you're bringing knowledge to where there's been ignorance before. When you bring that kind of knowledge to these, these chains of events, you eventually get to the point where you can get, get past them and open up to the darkness.
1: So when you're just looking at things arising and passing and events and processes and you're not fabricating structures and a self and all this stuff that we do, when the teaching is, though, to apply a, a... template or a structure on top of this namely the four noble truths so so it's it's not um at least initially in in the stage that people like me are at it's not to do away with fabricated with fabrications it's to apply this particular structure onto the whole business
0: exactly because he's not telling you to stop fabricating and be you be okay, yeah.
1: or just you know sink into your true nature or yeah. Yeah. or accept everything yeah. as it is
0: yes. or rest and rig pot or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, it's actually apply a structure and fabrications and a, like a template on all this experience and then do some appropriate work within nice. that structure. Leaving aside the structure that you usually put on it, right?
0: Because the, the structure here is, is such a strategic structure. Yeah. Because he's yeah. pointing you to where are the important things that need to be focused on. What what things can you ignore? Right. So you can focus on the real causes and, and deal with those. Right. I think I've told the story before about they had this problem in the Cook County Hospital years back, where you know be, being a public hospital they had only a few emergency rooms and they had a lot of people coming with you know reporting symptoms of heart, heart problems. And the question was, how do you know who's actually having a heart attack and who's just got a bad case of ingestion and who's going to give birth to a baby? And you have to have a system for you know, sorting people out. And this one administrator came and realized that you know, they were having a lot of problems because there was a you know, 70% rate of accuracy, which sounds okay, but if, you know, if it's your life, you don't have a 70% chance of actually you know, being diagnosed correctly. You know who who was assigned to the emergency, uh, the intensive care unit, who was not. And so he he'd read some research that you really don't need to know that much information about the patient. I forgot precisely what the details are. I one of it was the systolic and diastolic pressure. One is there presence of is there liquid in the lungs, and I forgot what the third thing was. In addition to EKG, all you need to know is those four things, and you can pretty much determine whether the person is actually having a heart attack or not. Now, we had tried to get the doctors in the emergency rooms to follow this procedure. And they said, no, you've got to know a lot more about the patient. Are they smoking? Are they under stress right now? A lot of lifestyle questions. And so the administrator said, okay, it's kind of like I'll make a deal. For the next three years, you continue doing things as you've done it. And we'll see what the the accuracy rate is. And then for the next three years after that, we'll try it my way chilling thought, isn't it? <laughs> that so much of our lives depend on administrators fighting with doctors and that kind of stuff, but what do you do? So for the first three years, again, it was they maintained the 70-75% rate of accuracy. And then the last three years, when they focused their questions to just a few things, 90 plus percent accuracy as to who was actually having a heart attack and who was not. So what the Four Noble Truths are telling you here is it's, the Buddha is not saying this is all of reality, I'm explaining all of reality to you. He says, these are the four things to look for, because these are crucial. If you want to put an end to suffering. And so what's arising and passing away, the question is, you know, is the cosmos eternal? Is it finite, infinite? You know, do you have a soul? Do you not have a soul? So just put those things aside and focus on experiencing the present moment as stress arising and passing away and then apply the template of the Four Noble Truths and the tasks appropriate to those Four Noble Truths to what you're experiencing. And you'll come to a happiness that's totally unconditioned. Does it sound like a fair deal?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Question over here. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, you know,
1: I love how simple it is. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like the bottom line of this practice is that be there, just kind of be there now, kind of Mm -hmm. thinking, and then uh, with some skill on top, and and with some wisdom and Mm -hmm. some, and some, it it just will apply itself after a while. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you, you know, it starts out with a conscious application. Yeah, you you start out with the conscious application, but gets more and more instinctive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. (coughs) Any other questions?
1: Said it may be real simple, but I work pretty damn hard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, it's
0: you know, as I said, it's if you had lots of things you had to do, just makes it unnecessarily complicated. And even though the Buddha said, you know, this is very deep and it takes a lot of work to understand it, still, it's applying common sense to your your problems of suffering. Okay, there's there's a problem, there's a cause but just being really radical in saying, okay, let's cut away all the stuff that's extraneous so we can really focus on this one problem. Okay. Okay. I'm burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll stop there for the day. Okay. I hope this has been useful. and um, I guess we're meeting again tomorrow morning if you want to come for that too. We'll have another round on the topic of the Brahma Vaharas. Okay.